BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, a big thanks to all the patrons on Patreon. We just got Mario joining us from Switzerland. Hey Mario, thank you for being my latest patron on Patreon. I mailed out a Talking Metal mask, a Talking Metal t-shirt, I threw in a pin for you, so watch out for that package. It should be heading over to Switzerland uh, soon. It left my my hometown here in Maplewood a couple days ago, so Maplewood, New Jersey, United States. So hopefully you'll get that soon. Also, big thanks to Lou Valcourt up in Canada. Lou, hope you're doing well. Andrew Miller, Jeremy Weltman, Chris Riley, Johan Enderstrom, Steve Rodriguez, I'm sorry, Steven Rodriguez, Tommy Anderson, Greg, Gregory Muse, Kenny McCrimmon, Leo from Alaska, Brad Dahl from Utah, Richard Langridge, Dan Gurwan, Jerry from Long Island, Sam Soupy, Drake, no last name for Drake, it's just Drake, Matt Carroll, Joe Ryan, Jason Seth, Steven Saylor, Ron Keel, Jean-Francois Blas, Anthony Mackey, how are you, Anthony? James Bennett. By the way, Anthony, I checked out that that uh, podcast you were talking about, that like sex podcast. <laughs> it was good. It was good. I watched. I listened to a full episode the other day. Thanks for recommending it. Forgot what it was called, but uh, James Bennett. I said that right. Uh, David S. Gray, Fred Roots, Michael Street, Mike Jones, Steve Hoker, Jean Boivari, and Metal Dan. Thanks, guys. You make this show happen. You are the supporters on Patreon. If you're listening to this show and you don't support me on Patreon, please consider it. There's a bonus podcast that goes up there every week that I do with Victor Ruiz from the Mars Attacks podcast. It's exclusive to the people on Patreon, and you get to hear that every week with uh, as little as a $2 a month donation. So and that ends up being like, what, 50 cents uh, for a bonus podcast every week. And I always have fun doing those. I let loose a little bit. I say things I might not say here because it's a very private show. That is the Mark Striegel podcast available exclusively for the patrons on Patreon. All right, here we go. Joey Vera is our guest today. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Here's an old classic that sounds just as good today as it did when we were kids.
All right, some old school Armored Saint right there off of the Delirious Nomad record. Today's guest is Joey Vera from Armored Saint. Great little chat with him. I can't wait for you to hear this. And they have a great new record out, Punching the Sky. I love it. I love it. Joey, of course, also plays with Fate's Warning, who also have a record out. Let's, uh, let's listen to that right now. This is Scars by Fate's Warning.
some new fates warning here on Talking Metal. Without further ado, let's get into my interview with Joey Vera of Armored Saint. Trying to do a podcast, people yelling in the background. Typical COVID life. Can't stand it. Anyways, here we go. Uh, Some brand new Armored Saint, followed by my interview with Joey Vera.
Mark Striegel, and for the first time ever on the podcast, we are talking with bassist Joey Vera. Joey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, and thank you for some great new music. Two new albums hitting almost simultaneously. We have Long Day, Good Night by Fate's Warning, and of course the great album by Armored Saint, Punching the Sky, digging both of these albums, and want to definitely catch up with you on, on both of them. But first, you know, we're obviously in a strange time here. COVID has uh, kind of just thrown things into chaos for a lot of us. How are you personally dealing with things? Uh, you know, uh, broad stroke uh, answer is that I'm I'm fine. Uh, my family's fine. My friends are fine. Um, the bands I'm in are fine. Um, you know, we're consider myself one of the lucky ones. Uh, I know that that's it's affected a lot of people in a really negative way. So I'm aware of that, and I consider myself pretty lucky. So. Um, Everything's cool on our end, um, and uh, you know, going through the normal stuff that everybody else is, you know, with the doom scrolling and the, right. you know, the the emotional part of it and the psychological part of it. I'm not immune to that, but you know, try to find ways to stay positive and stay healthy, and you know, just just look on the bright side that that uh, that this will come to an end shortly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've heard a vaccine is is on the way, so I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that that's a, a, a sign of of, of hope yeah. for us, you know. Yeah, and I think it is. Uh, you know, um, it, it was always a question of when. I think you know, and so at least we have some sense of when. Uh, you know what I mean? So that's a big ray of hope for everybody. Absolutely, and yeah. a lot of a lot of bands have decided to delay albums to delay new music uh because they can't tour at the at the current time but i i have to thank you because you've given us again two great new albums i'm sincerely digging both of these and cool congratulations on punching the sky by armored saint a, a top 40 billboard album that's pretty impressive at, at this stage in your career i mean that's awesome i know i know um my parents are freaking out you know they're like Oh, you know, they're so proud of me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, I'm a few years shy of 60 at this point, And they're like, I can't believe it. This is amazing. You know? <laughs> yeah, it really is. And, and I mean, top 40 Billboard album uh, yeah. albums at this point, most of most of these albums don't even have guitar on them. So I, yeah. I just I'm thrilled that the fans are supporting you guys and that yeah. that it's being received so well that's that's awesome and this yeah. is a this is yeah, a, yeah. an album that you you aren't just the band member you produce this album that's right um i've been producing the armored saint records um for quite a while and i the first kind of co-production i got was with symbol of salvation in 91 with uh but dave jordan was the one who spearheaded that whole direction and the producing but he gave me co co-producing credit um based on my involvement which was very nice of him um but yeah i've been producing um armored saint uh pretty much since then and when when you go in as as the producer of a band that you're also a member of do you kind of have to take a step back from being a band member and look at it through maybe a, a different lens um well you know it's 
it's funny because I I think I have a pretty good um, ability to be really um, objective, you know. So um, for me, d- during the whole process, I'm doing that, you know. I'm I'm the you know pretty much the chief songwriter along with John Bush, and so even from the get go in the beginning, I I um, try make a really big effort to step outside of the circle and look in, you know, try to see, see what it looks like outside, you know, and I try to do it through the whole process all the way through, even when it comes time to be my own performances, let's say that's maybe the hardest thing with the guitar players and, and harp on them, you know, you have to write you better it's me you know uh and don't have anybody cracking the whip on me so um i do i admit that that's the hardest part for me is when it's just me and doing my own bass parts you know um so i gotta pay extra attention at that time when i'm doing that um but you know other than that i don't it's not that hard for me to, to step outside of the circle and to look at it objectively i'm always looking at the big picture and I think that even sometimes band members have the harder time doing that because band members oftentimes are more concerned about their part in it, their their right. contribution, and they fail to see the picture. They they fail to see that that this is a song and it's bigger than just your part, you know. So you know, and I get it. You know, I'm the same way. It's it's kind of part of our our ego and our vanity, and I, I get. It. I think for me, since I'm part of the the creator in the beginning and and have lived with it for so long, you know, (laughs) it's easier for me to step outside. Right, right on. Joe, you're you're cutting out there just a little bit. Um, I'm wondering if if it might. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you good. The one thing that has impressed me always with Armored Saint is just the the song structures, the the hooks, the songwriting, I guess. And and when you and John are writing, how much uh, like how much of a struggle is it? How much do you you have to go back and forth? Do you dump ideas like what is the songwriting process like for you guys? Well, it's usually to be honest with you, most of the time, and I wouldn't say all the time, but I'd say a lot of the time, the songs come relatively easy. Um, they, I sometimes say that the songs write themselves, and I just have to sort of um, help them along in places. But most of the time, they really write themselves, and I'm not really sure why or how that is, but it just feels like that to me. But our process is maybe a little unusual than a lot of other bands or groups um the the songs usually the nucleus starts with with me um alone and um i usually write a song just like i said the songs usually come to me in full form fairly quickly like intro you know first verse second verse chorus whatever the arrangement is and it just usually lays itself out pretty quickly um I'll then, um, once I'm happy with what I think um, is an interesting song, at least, um, I'll make a demo of it. And I make a fairly elaborate demo right away. Tons of overdubs. I play all the instruments. I play mock leads. You know, I program the drums so it sounds like a human and not just a drum machine. 
I make it very elaborate, lots of effects and stuff. And then I give it to John Bush. And so when he gets it, he's he's almost like, wow, you know, so it really helps him inspire to get inspired to write lyrics and melodies. And he usually pops it in his car and drives around town for a few days, jots down notes and sometimes lyrics. Then he comes to my house and then we basically put down all of his ideas. And it's at that point where it's kind of like the first stage of the uh, fine tuning begins once the vocals come in, because I think the vocals really dictate all, all songs, really, mostly. Um, and so once he comes in, then we start to figure out stuff. And that's when we start, we either sometimes say, okay, this is great as it is, or sometimes we make adjustments like this part needs to be longer, this is too short, this one, this is a sort of fat, doesn't belong here, you know. Um, and that process is usually, usually pretty easy. Um, out of all the songs on Punch in the Sky, I would say maybe, maybe we went back and kind of, like, as you say, going back to the drawing board in a way on like two or three of them, hmm. but all the rest right. were like pretty much like they pretty much happened all on their own really quickly. And I mean, there are so many good songs on this record. We definitely highly recommend Punching the Sky by Armored Saint to our listeners. I checked out the music video for Missile to Gun, which just great. And and I love I love seeing music videos where there's a, a kind of like a little concept going on because so many music videos nowadays, it's just a band on like a sound stage. So I love the whole video game, but yet live action, female mm -hmm. fighter vibe. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about the concept or just about the video in general? Yeah, sure. Um, it was uh, directed by um, Robert Graves, um, who did our first single, um, End of the Attention Span also. And, um, you know, him and I really hit it off back in august when we were doing the first video for end of the attention span and we really got into um the narrative you know and we saw eye to eye on just about everything and we had great conversations and so when it came time to do missile the gun we just i you know called him right back up and said hey you know let's, let's do this again and so we started firing off some narratives about it and the, the the song, it's funny because the song lyrically, when you first hear it, you, you kind of think it's really about maybe like an arms race or a nuclear arms race or a, a battle between two men, basically, and their power. Um, and it kind of is. But the underlying theme really is that it's a peace song. Um, and this is according to John Bush, because I kind of had to read the between the lines myself. But it really is kind of a peace song. And so we decided that um, Robert and I, that we wanted to tell this side of the story that the, that the crux of the whole thing is, is, um, you know, coming to a, coming to an agreement and settle, not, not necessarily settling our differences, but being cool with our differences and having a handshake on that and saying, okay, you can be on this side and I can be on the other side, but we can still coexist, you know? So, we wanted to try that story, try to tell that story in that way visually, but also kind of do it with a little bit of tongue in cheek, a little bit of fun, which is why the, you know, I, I wanted it was important for me, and this was my kind of uh, uh, idea was that to, I wanted to take it out of reality, and I wanted to 
put it in this sort of a virtual reality. I didn't want it to be very, um, what's the word? Uh, um, you know, I didn't want it to be necessarily only about this one thing. I wanted to right. leave the interpretation open. And then Robert came back to me and said, well, what if I th- he, he loved it. And he said, well, what do we, let's try to do it in sort of a video game uh, world and also have the bat, the, even though lyrically it says man, man to man, let's let's make man meaning mankind, not necessarily males, but right, mankind. Right. And so let's have females be the the projectors of that. And I said, that's oh, brilliant, you know. And I said, I'm way into girl power. So we just kind of had meetings back and forth about it, and the concept came together through several conversations. And um, he went out and he had these. He found these amazing stunt women, and they they were so and they were so enthusiastic that they worked out that whole all right. of their stunts and the choreography, and it, it was it just turned out really great, and we loved it. Yeah, it really is great. It's an excellent watch. Again, we're talking about the yeah. music video, Missile to Gun. Definitely check it out, guys. I do want to talk about Fate's Warning, but before we leave uh, Armored Saint, let's. Uh, Talk Delirious Nomad. It's 35-year anniversary just happened for that, man. I got to tell you, that was such a big record for me because I, I was into March of the Saint because I had seen, like, Can You Deliver, I think, on Friday night videos or something, and right. I bought that. But for me, Delirious Nomad, there was, like, an edge to it, like, almost like a harder, rougher edge. I don't know if it's yeah. the production or the songs, but it was something that really connected with me as a teenager. Just loved even the, the album artwork was was so powerful and strong what do you remember about that album i know max norman worked with you guys on it any like i'm talking like two minutes or so memories that you could share of of putting that together yeah sure i mean i i I agree with you delirious for me is probably my favorite of the chrysalis years um and it's for the reasons that you basically explained and it came to be that because of some things that we went through. We were, we got signed fairly young. We were, we were a young band had only been together for maybe a year before we got offers from major labels. So we were, we were just young pups when it all happened. And when we made March of the Saint, our debut record, we basically were like naive. We had no idea of what we were doing. <laughs> um, we, let um, the record company hire a producer that we didn't necessarily see eye to eye with. And in the end of the process, we weren't very happy with the production side of March of the Saint. We felt like it didn't really represent us as a band, as the way we sounded live and in our 19-year-old minds and all that. But um, we also learned a lot about the first year being in the business on a major label. Everybody's sticking their hands in the pie and pulling you in different directions and suddenly you feel like you're losing control. <laughs> and so delirious for us was like, a was our sort of like answer back. It was our, it was our rebellion. We were very adamant about who we were going to hire to produce it. And we immediately went to Max Norman because of his work with Ozzy Osbourne, loudness and sabotage. We loved the sound of those records. They sounded dangerous. You know, they sounded heavy, and that's what we felt like our first record should have sounded like. So we got together with Max and then we wrote, we used a lot of songs that we had written during the March of the Saint years, like prior to getting signed. So some of those songs were left over from our club days and a lot of them are just dark songs and heavy songs. And 
um, you know, quote unquote, maybe non-commercial sounding songs, right? which kind of irked the company a little bit. <laughs> um, and so that was why that record has that vibe to it, because we were purposefully kind of rebelling against what we'd gone through. Um, and we had a great time working with Max. Um, he was uh, a British guy and we were stoked because of that too, because we were, we, you know, new wave of British heavy metal aside, we were, um, we, we grew up listening to nothing but British European bands. I mean, UFO and Lizzie, you know, Ozzy, you know, Sabbath, I mean, all of them deep purple, you know, the list goes on. So having working with Max in that way was also great. And, um, he was very easy to work with and, um, you know, uh, we're super proud of that record and, um, you know, we, uh, it'll always have that special place because it was like our, it was like our record, you know, this is the one we wanted to make. Right on, (laughs) right on. Cool. And I know we have limited time, so I do want to touch upon the, again, the new Fates Morning record, which is, which is awesome. Long day, good night. Uh, last time I saw you live was with Fates Morning at Irving Plaza in New Mm -hmm. York city with Queensryche. Wow. What a great double bill that was. That was Uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So much fun. Sold out at Irving Plaza. Great stuff. But anyways, psych the new records out. Can you talk a little bit about the record, maybe who produced it when it all came together? Uh, sure. The record was is produced by Jim Matheos again. He's been producing Fates records for quite a while as well. Um, this time we hired um, Joe uh, Baresi to, or to mix it, who's a great engineer, and he really brought a whole nother level to the record. Um, and so we were stoked to have him on board as well. Um, Jim and Ray wrote some great songs. Uh, they're amazing. Uh, the fans are just going nuts over it. Um, it's been great. We did the record, um, kind of virtually because we all live in different parts of the world. Um, and, uh, so it was a email record, if you will, because we had to do tracks wherever everybody lives in different places. Um, I got the tracks for me right after on the heels of finishing Armored Saint. So I was I did my parts in, in the spring, in April, basically, end of March into April. And I was the last one to do my parts. Everyone else had finished their parts, and Ray Alder did his parts. He lives in Madrid, Spain, and it was during lockdown in Spain, and he wasn't allowed to leave his house. So he literally had to move into the studio. He took, like, clothes and, like, you know, a, a cot and a sleeping bag. And he lived in the studio for two weeks because it was against the law to be on the streets. Wow. So he, did, he did his parts uh, living in the studio for two weeks uh, at the end of their lockdown in Madrid. Um, all the parts, everyone's performances are just amazing. Um, everybody's super proud of the record and um, it's getting great reviews. So uh, it was it's a it's a cool record. It's um, absolutely people ask me, you know, how is it? What is it like? You know, I say, you know, it's so hard for me because I'm inside of this thing. Um, But I would say it's just, you know, it feels to me like just another natural progression from theories. And, um, you know, there's just, you know, it's got a little bit of everything. There's some great, amazing prog moments. And then there's also some real great simplicity in it, you know, that's that really, really shines beautifully you know some really simple songs and 
great melodies and great performances and great lyrics. It's just it's a some, really cool record. Some cool special guests too, Gavin Harrison doing some some drums, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Gavin uh, had to play on one song. Um, it was really just the schedule conflict um, that we had with with Bobby Jerzombek, who who's our drummer, obviously, and uh, he he also plays with Sebastian Bach, and there was yeah. just, there was like this one week that just kind of threw a monkey wrench into the whole thing of him completing all the songs. And there was this one little, one uh, small part, this song. It's not like a big long song, but it's a, it's a song that Bobby just literally couldn't get to in time because of the schedule conflict. And uh, we discussed a lot of different things. And finally, um, uh, Jim was able to get in touch with Gavin and, and Gavin contributed the the thing the parts for this song, so it worked out in the end, and Bobby was totally fine with it. I mean, you know, it's Gavin after all. <laughs> Absolutely cool. Well, I know we got to wrap things up, but I mentioned to my my patrons on Patreon that we were going to be uh, doing a, an interview with you, and they were all curious about your involvement with Merciful Fate and just a little bit about your history with King Diamond. Can you talk about where things stand with that? Uh, sure. There's not a whole lot I can say. Uh, I mean, real quick, um, I have known King for quite a while. Armored Saint did a tour with them back in 88, 89, and we've been label mates for a long time. Um, so I would occasionally run into to King every now and then. He's We've been friends for quite a while. Um, and it was when a couple of years ago I was on tour with Fates. In fact, I think it was that tour you're mentioning with Fates and Queensryche, and we played we went through um, we went through Texas, and King came out to see us with Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records, of course. Um, and uh, they came backstage, and they came to see the show. And King pulled me aside that night, and he told me what was going on with Timmy, original bassist, and uh, uh, asked me if I if I would be able to fill in for Timmy just in case he um, was too weak from his uh, procedures that he was going through at the time. And initially I said, well, I'm, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. You know, I monitored and, oh, yeah, it would be amazing. Of course. Thank you. Um, and then, of course, a month or so later, um, the terrible news came. And along the whole time, I'm thinking in my back of my mind, like, oh, you know, he's going to pull through. It'll be fine. But right. if it happens, I'll, if he can't do it, I'll be I'll try to be ready. Uh, and then it, it just it turned out it just he went south and it was the worst thing ever. Um, and a couple months later, I got another call and they said, well, you know, we're, we're going to move forward. And I, I said, well, I did tell you I would, and I keep my word. So, you know, of course, COVID came down right at that moment and, uh, it all got postponed. It, as far as I know, it's still on the books for next summer in uh, festivals in Europe. Um, I do have the set list. <laughs> okay. Um, I've gotten maybe, I've probably gotten maybe halfway through it. Okay. There's a lot. There's a lot to learn. Let me tell you, like so many parts, and it's like, oh, it's this isn't like ACDC music, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's tons of tons of music. Cool. But another another note, real quickly, uh, you know, like for me, it's like it's surreal for me. It's because when I was first coming up from eighty eighty one, uh, and Armored Saint was first getting started, I got involved in the tape trading thing. Um, back then, people who don't know, we used to t- trade cassette tapes from and have pen pals all over the world and you would share local bands or whatever. And so I had pen pals in Europe and one of the first tapes I got was 
Nuns Have No Fun, the first EP for Merciful Fate back wow. in 80, 81. And so this was, you know, Armored Saint was just getting started and we were jamming and playing clubs or whatever. And I played the crap out of that first EP. I mean, I was a huge fan of it, you know. And then, of course, subsequently, you know, I, of course, you know, Merciful Fate became a great band and then made great records after that. And I was into that as well. But just that moment of being kind of a fanboy in, in 81, you know, and then fast forward and I stopped to think about it now. And I'm like, holy crap, like I'm going to be playing a lot of these songs on stage with King so and cool. Hank. Yeah, it's insane. And I'm like, if this actually happens, because it hasn't actually happened yet. I mean, it sounds good. It's on paper. But if this actually happens, I'm just going to like kick myself in the ass and go dude <laughs> right on right on cool well joey i know we're over our time so final quick question is uh when's the last time you heard from tommy lee <laughs> wow uh that's a good question um i you know what's funny is i haven't i haven't actually spoken with him in a very long time but right. i've seen him we live in the same area. Like he lives in the the town right next to me. And I ran in, I saw him once in a baby's R us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But he was, he was like on the other end of the, of the store. And my wife and I were on the other end. And, and I was like, I was like, Hey hon, there, there's Tommy over there with his wife. And she goes, go say hi to him. I'm like, nah, it was, it's yeah. been like, it's probably been like decades. Huh? Years. Yeah. yeah. It's been years and years and years. Yeah. But, uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> our worlds have just gone separate ways. You know, yeah. I just, I don't, he's not in, the, uh, we're not in the same circles really yet. I haven't really been on a bill with him. You know, that might be another situation. I haven't crossed paths with him in that sense in decades. It's been a long time. Yeah. And you guys used to jam a lot, I guess, when you were, when you were younger. Right. And, and I, I know you, I think made the pages of the dirt, right. You're, you're in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. We were, we were in a local band together for, it wasn't that long, about nine months. Um, and we were in a band together and we have a small history and I was there when he met Nikki for the first time. And, um, and they, uh, we're discussing starting a new band called Motley Crue. I I was there um, at their first meeting and it was, wow. uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, the story in the dirt isn't exactly right. Uh, Vince tells the story in the dirt. Um, but then the only, he, he says that I was on Tommy's motorcycle, which is, not, okay. <laughs> which isn't true. It was in a, it was in a, a person's car that we were with and Tommy was driving, but it wasn't even Tommy's car, but, it just it conjures up a weird image of me with on the back of Tommy's motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, faster, Tommy, faster. <laughs> right, right on. That right did on. not happen. I gotcha. <laughs> cool. Well, I've heard that about numerous stories from from the dirt, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it's partially accurate. <laughs> partially accurate. <laughs> I like that. All right, Joey, it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we cannot wait to get you back out on the road and mm. back here in the New Jersey and New York area. I, I would love to see Fate's Warning tour with Queensryche again. I don't know if that would be yeah. a possibility, but that was such a great yeah. combination. Um, yeah, they're they're a great band. Uh, they're great friends of mine, too. Armored Saint also did a tour with them. And I, I just I just love those guys. They're all they're all great people. Love them. And and we're all dying to get on the road, period, with anybody. So I hope this all opens up soon and we can actually do that. 
Absolutely. Me too. And yeah. great speaking with you. Best of luck. Yep. Please keep in touch. Thank you for having me. It's okay. A pleasure. Talk soon. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. everyone on uh, Patreon who chimed in with some of your, your favorite deep cut Iron Maiden songs. I asked people to name three Iron Maiden songs that were not on the Best of the Beast Greatest Hits album. We got just some excellent responses. Metal Dan, To Tame a Land, or, uh, a song that was about the, the Dune book, actually. I don't know if you know that, Metal Dan. Women in Uniform, which was a cover, great cover with Diano on that. Two great ones, Metal Dan. Chris Riley mentioned Ghost of the Navigator, Stranger in a Strange Land, and Women in Uniform. Another one voting for Women in Uniform. 
awesome picks. Jeremy Weltman, Flight of Icarus, seventh son of a seventh son. I don't know if I'd consider Flight of Icarus a deep cut, but that's just me. Two great ones, Jeremy. Johan Enderstrom, The Loneliness of a Long Distance Runner, Flight of Icarus, For the Greater Good of God. Yeah, man, that's a great one. You know what? I'm going to play that one as soon as we're done here. Victor Ruiz says Power Slave, Sea of Madness, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Mike Jones mentions Total Eclipse. That was a B-side. Flash of the Blade off of Power Slave. Good ones, Mike. Leo from Alaska says Rime of the Ancient Mariner, Stranger in a Strange Land, The Prisoner, Honorable Mention, Infinite Dreams, Hard to Pick Just Three. Anthony Mackey says Revelations, Murder in the Rue Morgue, The Duelist. Ah, that's a real deep one, Anthony. Love it. Love The Duelist. Steven Saylor, Still Life to Tame a Land, The Wicker Man, all, all good ones. Metal Dan, I said those. So, yeah, some great response from my friends on patreon let's uh let's do let's do the song i just mentioned the greater good of god as requested not requested as mentioned by johan thanks johan
a little maiden here on Talking Metal. Uh, I was on Twitter. My Twitter handle's at Talking Metal. Please follow me there. And I threw out there um, the question, name a good deep cut by Black Sabbath, specifically Ozzy-era Black Sabbath. And we got some great responses. I voted for uh, Junior's Eyes off the Never Say Die album. And you guys really chimed in with some great ones here. The Thrill of It All off of Sabotage, says Sam. Good one, Sam. Yep, I agree with you. Cornucopia. Copia. Yep, sure. Chris says Wheels of Confusion. Nice one, Chris. Rob Dukes from formerly of Exodus, currently of Generation Kill, saying The Thrill of It All. That's a great one. Ben Smith saying Wheels of Confusion, Looking for Today. All good ones. Uh, Chal says all moving parts Mayor McCheese Hole in the Sky I don't know if Hole in the Sky yeah I guess Hole in the Sky is a deep cut Air Dance The Thrill of It All a lot of people saying The Thrill of It All All Moving Parts You Can't Change Me from Technical Ecstasy Symptom of the Universe which I wouldn't consider a deep cut myself Megalomania great one The Writ Hole in the Sky I'm just going through all these The Writ I feel like the writ is getting the most votes here. Megalomania, again, Symptom of the Universe, a personal favorite, definitely the first thrash song. I, I don't I don't hear that at all. I feel like the first thrash song is Fast as a Shark by Accept, but that's just me. Um, all Moving Parts, again, yeah, a lot. The writ, wow, so many votes for the writ. Abby, uh says changes again abby i don't know if that's a deep cut not for me personally but but definitely an amazing tune love it a hard road off i never say die now that is a great one that came in by devil devil horns up love that tune megalomania backstreet kids oh yeah that's an interesting one and it goes on and on you can read all the killing yourself to live you can read all the responses on my my twitter feed and that'll do it let's end with the writ by black sabbath little aussie era sabbath to take us out support me on patreon guys paypal donations are encouraged buy a t-shirt for 15 dollars a talking metal face mask stay safe with that for 18 dollars just hit up my paypal which is in the show notes for today's episode which you can get right on your your podcasting app just look at all the show notes a bunch of links in there a bunch of ways to support me this has been episode 899 of the Talking Metal Podcast. This is The Writ by Black Sabbath. See you next time.